You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello to the herd. For the next two months, Unbiased Science is conducting a listener survey to help us get to know you, your interests, and what you think of the show. Please support the podcast by taking the short questionnaire at surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash airwave. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback will help us improve unbiased science and the sponsors that connect with you. Plus, as a way of saying thank you, you will be entered to win a $500 Amazon gift card. Again, that's surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash airwave. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer. And Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are going to continue our conversation about some popular health hacks that have gone viral on TikTok. So if you didn't tune into last week's episode, definitely go back and check that out. We focused on the parasite cleanse, lymphatic massage, and this idea that putting wet socks on your feet overnight will cure illness. So definitely go back and check that out. And this week we did our research and we went on TikTok and we tackled some of the very common trends that we've seen circulating as of late. And the one that I see all the time, there's some variation of this, um, but it's putting onions, cut onions around your house, as well as on your feet. We'll talk about both, but cutting up onions, putting them around the house because of their antiviral and antibacterial properties. And this idea that it will, that the onions will absorb the, the illness, right? Yeah. And I think that's the most common thing is that there's a misconception or a belief that, Onions are somehow sucking toxins and pathogens out of the air um, or if when placing on your feet out of your body. Right. And this, you know, this started, this is nothing new. This started um, as far back as the 1500s, right? Where people were placing cut raw onions in rooms um, to protect from the bubonic plague. So this has historical roots. And this is obviously long before germ theory, before we understood germs. And this idea at the time was that sickness was spread by something called miasma or noxious air. And so, right, bad air. And so onions have been part of folk medicine for hundreds and hundreds of years. And also during the 1919 flu epidemic, people were doing the same. They were putting cut onions around their house, thinking that it would fight off flu virus. Again, we don't know exactly what was happening, you know, during during the the 1500s during the plague, but during this kind of era of pre-germ theory where, you know, illnesses were believed to be spread by this noxious air, they thought that these fumes were coming up from the sewers, which were pretty primitive back then and not realizing that in fact, you know, it was close proximity to rats which were harboring fleas, which were harboring the bacteria that was 
was causing uh, bubonic plague. But there was also a phenomenon where people were utilizing things that had very pungent odor to mask the smell of illness and poor hygiene practices. And that's also why the plague doctor mask had that very large conical cone because they would fill it with things like potpourri to, to kind of mask the odor of illness, of defecation, of, you know, um, the buboes that would come as, as bubonic plague were off, often filled with pus and, and, you know, that's just not a good smell. Well, two things. So one, what I always found interesting is that obviously back then they got the cause of illness wrong, as, you know, as we're saying, it's pre-germ theory, but this idea of, you know, bad air did lead to better sanitation and, you know, sanitation law. So they got the cause wrong, but then they enacted some things that actually did improve um, and reduce right. the spread of illness. And one other thing, you know, the song Ring Around the Rosie, Pocket Full of Posey. Yes. So it, wasn't that all about, you know, they would carry like flowers and things that yes. smelled nice to yes. mask the bad smells. Exactly. So interesting. Exactly. And the and the ashes, ashes, you know, they were burning the corpses and we all fall down. Lots of millions of people were dying. It's and, and our kids kind are of a morbid, <laughs> Kind of a morbid song. So ultimately, we didn't know a lot about disease transmission, how they were spread, but a lot of these sanitation measures actually did reduce the spread of illness and not for the reason why, you know, they thought back then, but, but ultimately because we're improving sanitation, we're reducing the spread of respiratory droplets that do contain pathogens and so on and so forth. So onions are amazing. I think we both love onions, right? They have some onions. great properties, some great vitamins and nutritional value. They're delicious. They're also delicious. But Andrea, can you sort of talk to us about why, you know, cutting onions and putting them around the house, why that doesn't work? Definitely. So first of all, onions are not some sort of magical air purifier. Um, well, they do have some chemical compounds that in a Petri dish at high concentrations have been shown to inhibit the growth of certain viruses and certain bacteria, the concentrations with which they're going to be present in an onion are not going to be inherently antiviral either in the air in your home acting as some sort of pathogen trap and certainly not on your feet either. So, you know, it's not going to detoxify the air. Things that can help detoxify your air would be HEPA filtration systems, which are high efficiency um, particle filters, which actually have essentially woven materials that have pore sizes small enough to trap circulating pathogens, bacteria, fungal spores, and, and some can even trap certain viruses. So unfortunately, yes, onions around the house are not going to do that. There's also the claim that because they're acidic, they can inhibit bacterial and viral growth both around the house and on your feet. And again, Acidity in and of itself is not necessarily going to uh, inhibit microbial growth, especially at kind of the pH level that an onion actually exists. Um, you would need, you know, much larger dosage or much larger quantity um, in order to even exert any sort of effect, you know, assuming that you're able to circulate any pathogens in your house in a way that would 
get trapped or get impacted by an onion. Right. So again, I feel like this is another example of there's a seed of truth. So yes, at very high concentrations, some of the compounds in onions can be antimicrobial, but they don't work by just placing them around your house or even on your feet. And what is, there's like an obsession with people putting things on their feet. Obsession with feet. What is going on? So, so for this one, <laughs> feet are hot, for, first of all. Um, but with regard to some of these like folk remedies, there is some belief that it stems from Chinese reflexology where there's a map of the bottom of the feet and there are these meridians that essentially point to energy lines or energy divisions within the body. And the belief is that some of the foot meridians, you know, are access points to organs like the spleen or the lungs or things like that. And so unfortunately there's no evidence to support that. Um, and even when we talk about these, these beneficial compounds in onions, sulfuric compounds, folate, flavonoids, and so on and so forth, those are great. They're nutritious. And yes, in a Petri dish at high concentration, some of them can inhibit microbial growth, but even eating them, it's not going to be inherently antimicrobial. It's not going to cure an illness, even if you're consuming them. Um, and if we, and if we move it a step further and talk about putting them on the soles of your feet, you have this physical barrier called your skin that's going to block, you know, uptake or diffusion or distribution of any of those compounds from the onion that's placed on your feet getting into your body. It's not going to be absorbed by your your skin cells that readily. And certainly the reverse isn't happening. The onion isn't sucking things out of, and I like how I'm using my hand as a demonstration, but it's not sucking things out of your feet or sucking toxins out of your feet. Right. So this is one of those things that's probably not harmful to, you know, put cut onions around your house or even put them on your feet. Although I would think some people who have sensitive skin, you know, the the onions could maybe irritate the skin or cause some sort of skin reaction. So just be careful about that. But it's when people are doing this, and I know this is a common thing. We talked about this last week. We talked about this a bunch. If you're doing it in place of proper medical attention, diagnosis, and treatment, that's where the problem comes in. Because maybe you're sick with something that, you know, uh, for which you require antibiotics or some other, you know, antiviral treatment or something like that. That's the problem. It's not a replacement. And also, you know, we know that there are some cultures, and you you mentioned Chinese reflexology. We've heard um, other people chime in and say, you know, this is something that they've done in their family. We understand and respect that. But again, from a scientific perspective, there's just no evidence to support it. So if you want to do it, you could do it, but just be mindful that, you know, it's not a replacement for medical treatment. And I think, I think it's also important, you know, we've talked about this a lot where individuals who fall prey to more benign versions of misinformation or, or you know, fake health cures, um, something like onions on the feet, could be susceptible to more serious, more concerning, more potentially dangerous types of scientific misinformation. So, you know, if you find yourself getting sucked into a lot of these health fads or, or you know, fake trends, Maybe check yourself and think, okay, is this a pattern or is this like a one-off thing um, that I seem to be susceptible to? And one final thing, and then I know we're going to talk about potatoes on the feet, which is also very relevant to what I'm about to say, is that, you know, people will do this. It's all over TikTok. I did this and I felt better. 
people <laughs> for some reason forget that we get better with time a lot of yeah. a lot of the time, you know, for lack of yeah. better phrasing. And so if you did this and you felt better, maybe, you know, well, your body was likely fighting off illness overnight. Yeah. And so if you woke up feeling better, you know, thank you, immune system. Thank you, time. <laughs> um, but not yeah. due to the onions that you're putting around your house or on your feet. And the immune system does a lot of its wound healing processes, which would include wound healing in the context of an infection during sleep, um, which is why sleep and sleep hygiene is very important to have a healthy immune system. And so, you know, especially that window overnight, that's going to be a period where, yeah, you're going to see a lot of immune system activation, not because of the onions, but because, or the wet socks, but because that's when the immune system's doing its work. So let's go on to talk about uh, potatoes on the feet. Potatoes. So there, this is everywhere. Um, one of the bachelor, batch, I know you don't watch this at all, but I do. So I yeah, I know you're like, what? <laughs> Caitlin Bristow is, you know, one of the more popular people to come out of the bachelor franchise. She put up a video uh, and so many others have where she put um, slices of potatoes on the bottom of her feet when she was sick. I think I Actually with COVID and mm. in the morning took them off her feet and we we're like, look, it's black. It sucked out oh, the toxins right. from my body. So Andrea, why are people doing this? So again, a lot of the background about the feet um, is probably similar to the reasons why the onions are going on the feet, the reflexology, again, where they think the soles of the feet are kind of the entryway, the energy access points to other parts of the body. And so treating the feet is going to help treat the body. Let's and, and of course, the claims related to the potatoes on the feet are very similar to the onions on the feet. It's going to help cure colds and flus and cough, runny nose, congestion, fever. A lot of the same symptoms that the wet socks on the feet also were claiming to treat. And again, there's no evidence. There's no scientific data to support this. And again, just like with an onion, potatoes are not sucking anything out of your feet. The reason that potatoes turn brown is because of an enzymatic reaction. So proteins, specific proteins that actually break apart different molecules are called enzymes. So one example that folks might be familiar of, um, just for a reference point, would be an enzyme called lactase. And in humans, lactase is an enzyme that breaks apart lactose, which is a sugar, in order to enable us to digest it. And people that are lactose intolerant typically don't have enough of this enzyme to break apart this particular sugar. Therefore, they're not able to digest it well, and they get symptoms as a result. So anything that ends in that ASE, that ACE, means that it's a specific protein that breaks apart molecules. It's an enzyme. Enzyme. So potato cells, yeah, potatoes are vegetables. They're made out of plant cells. All living organisms are made out of cells, including potatoes. But they have an enzyme called tyrosinase, sometimes officially called polyphenol oxidase. And so basically the skin of the potato is kind of like the skin of you. It protects the internal organs of the, of the potato or protects the potato cells. So when a potato is cut and the internal portion of the potato is exposed to oxygen, that enzyme, that polyphenol oxidase is activated. So it needs some trigger to activate it. So that's the exposure to oxygen. If the potato was not cut, it wouldn't, those cells wouldn't be exposed. And that enzyme polyphenol oxidase causes a chemical reaction called hydroxylation. And and what it does is it hydroxylates particular types of alcohol uh, molecules present in a potato. These are called monophenols, and it hydroxylates them to odiphenols. And then it also dehydrogenates them, meaning removes hydrogen molecules to molecules called O-quinones, which then actually 
clomb on to each other, which is, the official term is called polymerization, but they aggregate and it turns into pigment, which is the browning process. So basically you have this chain reaction of enzymes cutting these molecules into different pieces. What normally was white in a potato is now brown in a potato. As a data scientist, I appreciate that some of the people who've gone viral on TikTok doing this, they'll have a control, right? So they'll put the potato slices on their feet and they'll say, look, this turned black or brown or whatever. And then they'll put right. a control, a sliced potato just on their nightstand and then yes. they'll compare them. And so what you're saying is that there's something, you know, that's in our skin or on our bodies and, and that triggers a process that makes the potato. So the enzyme is actually in the potato itself. So once you cut the potato, the potato itself will start to brown. But in our body, we also have that same enzyme, and that enzyme helps us create melanin when we're exposed to ultraviolet radiation. In addition, the ambient temperature of your room is probably about 70, 72 degrees Fahrenheit, whereas our body is 98-ish Fahrenheit, so it's warmer. And typically, temperature increase accelerates enzymatic reactions. That's just the nature of how these enzymes work. So by putting it on your feet, it's potentially exposed to more of that enzyme that's present in your own skin cells, but you also have the higher temperature, which is going to accelerate that browning process. So yeah, I mean, it's logical that people are like, well, it didn't brown as much on my desk, but it browned more on my feet, but it's it's still due to basic biology and biochemistry. So, I mean, that, there you go. I mean, I, again, you know, I, I appreciate and I understand why people were thinking it, right? Because they put it on their body, they put it on their nightstand. Why is this black and that's not? Um, but yeah. even if you're not sick, you're going <laughs> to, you put it on your skin. It's going to turn gonna brown. still yes. turn brown. Still turn brown, still turn brown, and not sucking anything out of your body. It's simply an enzymatic reaction. It's basically like a potato tanning. Right. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure that some listening to this would say, well, we have toxins in our body all the time, even when we're not sick and it's sucking them out. But again, that's not what's happening. So it's, yeah, not, not what's happening. Knock your socks off if you want to do this, but it's not really doing anything. You know, you might be benefiting from time passing, sleeping and the processes that, you know, kick in our, our immune system overnight, but the potatoes themselves are not making you better. No. And I feel like I'd rather eat a potato than waste a potato by putting it on my feet. Oh, so. Potatoes are the most versatile. Potatoes are like they really they're are. so great. So I am obsessed. The, the in all forms. My my <laughs> Polish roots come. I just we love we love our potatoes. I do want to shamelessly plug. Um, if you do want to prevent the flu, the best way to do that is to get your annual flu shot, and not to put onions or potatoes on your feet. Love that. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So... In keeping with the theme of people turning to foods as medicine or as cures, another thing that people are doing now, they're taking cut 
garlic cloves and shoving, or whole garlic cloves, I've seen both, and shoving them up their nose. And I guess the goal here, wait, I'm going back to the claims here. It's um, to help treat congestion and other sinus issues, excuse me. And so there are these videos that have gone viral with, there's one in particular that I guess kicked this off and had almost 5 million views. And I'm sure that's increased since the time that this these stats were pulled. But, you know, this is, this is not good for a variety of reasons. A lot of clinicians and scientists have weighed in saying this is dangerous, so please don't do this. So what happens is anytime you're plugging your nostrils, what happens naturally when we block the opening of our nose is that it fills with mucus. That's just what our body does when our nasal passage is blocked. Because inside your nose is, it's filled with mucus membranes and while you don't necessarily realize it, even if you're not blowing your nose and releasing mucus, it's constantly cycling, evaporating, rehydrating. Keeping your internal nasal passages moist with those mucus secretions is critical to ward off pathogens getting up there in combination with your nose hairs, but also keeping those cells which are very fragile in your nose healthy. Right, and, and the other thing you're doing by shoving something up your nose is you're likely injuring the lining of your nose, right? And trauma to the mucosa or the lining of your nose is also going to increase a running nose. So again, if and, and yeah. again, <laughs> very fragile cells. We don't want to damage them. Shoving something up your nose right. can damage them. And I think a lot of people turn to garlic. It's sort of lumped in with onion is seen as having these antiviral, antimicrobial properties. But it also, obviously, we all know there's a very delicious, in my opinion, but strong smell to garlic. And so I think it's like along the same lines of why people use eucalyptus or you know things like that to try to clear their nose. A strong smell, the idea is that it's going to open up our nasal passages through vasoconstriction, which is going to allow for greater airflow. But garlic, especially, you know, if you're cutting the garlic, it has caustic properties. It's a pretty strong substance and it could actually cause burning or dermatitis, um, which is, you know, irritation of the lining of your nose. Yeah. So, so garlic does contain a variety of these caustic substances, one of which is these organosulfur compounds. And so again, while they have nutrients, they're nutritious, um, yeah, they can be irritating. It's also why if you have a cut on your hand and you're cutting garlic, it can often sting and irritate. Take that sensation and, you know, magnify that by quite a bit because, again, the mucosal cells inside your nasal passages are, um, they're much more delicate than your skin cells on, on the outside of your hands, and they can be damaged very easily, but but they're also more fragile. So even just contact with the, the oils when you cut open a garlic clove and you have those secretions from cutting through the garlic cells that can be very irritating to your nasal passages. It can also, it can cause burning, it can cause irritation, it can cause physical damage. And, and potentially if you damage some of the cells with blood vessels involved can also cause nosebleeds. The big kind of takeaway from that is, you know, there's no potential health benefit. There's actually no data really that garlic itself um, is going to cause this vasoconstrictive property that that 
typically things we associate with decongestion, like menthol, which is often used in like Vicks VapoRub, which allows you to kind of temporarily decongest because you're causing vasoconstriction in the vessels in your nose. Garlic doesn't really have that property. So yes, it has a strong smell, but it doesn't share the same type of properties. But what about the risks of getting something stuck up your nose? Yes. Yes. So of course, impaction, things like that, always a very serious risk. Depending on the person, the size of the garlic piece that's being inserted, that can be stuck to the point where you need surgical removal. And so, you know, generally just not, doesn't sound pleasant. Even if you need forceps, like pre-surgery, like none of that sounds pleasant. I have a very narrow nasal passage, but very wide nostrils. And like for someone like me, I could imagine that just being a nightmare. Also, I feel like, you know, food is nutritious, right? But we get, so many people get hung up on this, well, it's natural, therefore it must be beneficial. And I, and we talked about this even in our vaginal health episode where people were using yogurt because of the live bacterial cultures in yogurt in their vagina to stave off yeast infections. And again, like, These are things that microorganisms actually can grow in. So, you know, shoving that inside a a passage or a cavity of your body is also potentially creating this microenvironment that's just ripe for growth and contamination of infection of bacteria. And of course, we do have bacteria and viruses always in and on our body, including in our nasal passages. If you block that by shoving something up your nose that could potentially accelerate a sinus infection. So there's a lot of potential risks associated with with the garlic up your nose, you know, certainly more so than like the onions or the potatoes on the feet. Absolutely. And also, you know, we have things over the available over the counter that are safe and are known to work if you're congested. And of course, you should talk to your clinician before doing this. But there are nasal decongestants that you can take. There are certain nasal sprays or irrigation that you can do. So those things we know can and do provide relief, whereas this is dangerous and does not have the evidence to support it. Another thing is that people are doing garlic poultices sort of along the lines of what we've been talking about, about putting it on your skin, Uh, you know, onions and, and potatoes and all kinds of other natural things on the skin. This also doesn't do anything and it can, because it's caustic, you know, can cause burning, skin, skin irritation, dermatitis and other things things. And then even garlic supplements, they're known to interact with some prescription drugs. So you have to be careful in particular if you're on blood thinners, uh, if you're diabetic, or if you're um, taking HIV medication. So before you even take a garlic supplement, that's something that you should talk about with your clinician. Yeah. And definitely still don't shove it up your nose. Please don't shove it up your nose. All right, Andrea, I'm going to set the stage here, but then I want you to- I'm actually really excited about this topic. Okay, CMOS is (laughs) everywhere. So it became popular, I think, so Haley Bieber, I don't even know if you know who that is, but um, (laughs) Haley Bieber is, you know, she's very popular. She's married to Justin Bieber and she's, anyway, whatever. She's a model. She's all the things. And so she started having these um, smoothies at a very popular LA place called Erewhon. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And they were putting sea moss in their smoothies and drinking it. And so there are all these
highest touted benefits, you know, it's supposed to clear your skin, improve gut health, lower cholesterol, lead to higher energy, regulate your periods, all kinds of things. Um, so it's gone viral. And I'm telling you the amount of times I go on TikTok and I see people taking a spoonful of sea moss out of a jar and literally gagging, because I guess it doesn't taste so good. Um, <laughs> I've never tried it. I don't know. And they're literally gagging. But because of these purported benefits, they like are forcing themselves to have a teaspoon of it a day. It is high in nutrients, and you're going to tell us, but it isn't this, you know, cure-all that, that people claim it is. So Andrea, talk to us about sea moss. Yeah. So sea moss is an edible red seaweed or, or an algae found on in the northern Atlantic. So it grows in nature. It is also called Irish moss. Um, the scientific name is Chondrus crispus. And fun fact for you all, it's officially or more commonly or historically called carrageenan or the extract from sea moss is called carrageenan. And you've probably heard of carrageenan. It has often been talked about in pop culture. Um, some folks are looking for things that, that don't have carrageenan in it. But carrageenan is an extract from red seaweeds, specifically this sea moss, this chondrus crispus. And it's used as an emulsifier and a thickening agent in a ton of different commercial products from food products to cosmetics. So examples of things that already have carrageenan in them or, you know, for, for continuity purposes already have sea moss extract in them are yogurts. Um, any of your nut milks that you'll find at the store, ice creams, creamers, um, vegan or other plant-based cheeses, and then also skin products. So moisturizers, face serums, creams, cleansers, and even toothpaste. And the reason that it's uh, useful is because again, this extract basically takes a substance that has lower viscosity. So it's a little bit more thin in nature and it binds it and it thickens it. So now you have this toothpaste that when you squeeze, it doesn't all blow, you know, it, it, it stays on your toothbrush and it doesn't like liquefy everywhere. So if you've ever interacted with any of these products, you've already come in contact with CMOS. Now there has been some FDA regulation because it is a food additive or it is a, it is a commercial product additive. And the FDA has approved and verified CMOS or carrageenan specifically as safe. However, it's important to remember that this is in the context of commercial product additives where there's only a little bit being added. Recently, it's become very popular with the, the TikTok scene and people are eating tablespoonfuls of it. Broadly speaking, probably safe, definitely safe in the context of all of these other food and commercial beauty products that we've talked about. But again, the testing you know, we always say the dose makes the poison, right? Um, so carrageenan is generally recognized as safe. However, there are some data that exist. And again, it's a little bit uh, inconclusive, but some data suggests that it can cause GI upset. So it's very interesting that it's now being touted as healing your gut or improving your gut health, because there actually is some evidence that it can cause irritation in the gastrointestinal tract. I was just going to jump in and say a lot of the people who do it say that they like run to the bathroom, <laughs> you know, with diarrhea often after consuming this. And, and again, they're taking this as indication that it is like clearing out their gut and yeah. that that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and again, that's a, that's a 
kind of common theme we see with these folks who think that they're detoxing, right? They're actually inducing a laxative or a gastrointestinal upset effect, and that's not necessarily a good thing. So let's talk about, you know, what's in sea moss broadly. So it does have a high density of nutrients. It has, if you're looking at what people on TikTok are consuming, a two tablespoon dose of it so to speak, um, would have 5% of your daily value of folate, 5% of your daily value of iron, 4% of your daily value of riboflavin, 3% of your daily value of uh, magnesium. And it also does have some trace levels of zinc and copper, micronutrients that we do need certain levels of for health. However, One caution is it has quite a lot of iodine. And yes, humans need iodine for survival. It's actually why most salts that we buy, most table salt we buy now is called iodized. So it's sodium chloride, which is salt, but it has some iodine added to it because iodine is essential for thyroid function. However, high levels of iodine which could be concerning if you're consuming large amounts of the sea moss, spoonfuls of the sea moss, can actually interfere with iodine function and, sorry, with thyroid function. And this is a particular concern for women who are generally more susceptible to thyroid and endocrine disorder. So thyroid is an organ of your endocrine system. Um, And also women are generally doing these sorts of wellness hacks to begin with. So that's one of the big concerns about um, consuming high levels of carrageenan or sea moss in particular, these gels that you're being seen being sold. The other concern is this is a seaweed. And while there are some harvesting regulations, there are also a lot of videos out there telling people how to harvest it themselves uh, because it does grow naturally. And um, seaweeds are traps for marine pollutants, just broadly. All seaweeds are. They're algaes, they're they're low on the food chain, and you have um, concerns for biomagnification, meaning the seaweeds themselves are probably healthy, but as you're eating larger quantities of it, um, anything that they've trapped, any of these environmental pollutants, chemicals, especially if you find seaweed or you're buying seaweed that's been harvested near wastewater treatment plants or any sort of runoff facilities, they actually could be quite high in potential uh, pollutant chemicals that might be detrimental to your health, especially if you're consuming it over a long period of time. These are not regulated because, again, they're kind of falling into this amorphous region of supplements. And so there really isn't a lot of data in terms of the prevalence of potential pollutants or potentially detrimental additional chemicals that would be found in, in CMOS. So Yeah, I mean, it has a lot of nutrients. These are not nutrients that are only going to be found in sea moss. You can get most of these from other dietary sources. There's no data to support that it's going to cure acne or Parkinson's or gut health or regulate your hormones or regulate your period or reduce your cholesterol or or anything like that. Um, So it's definitely not a magical panacea. And it could be could be risky potentially for for some people in particular who are prone to GI issues or have potential thyroid issues. That is the scoop on sea moss. All right. I really want to talk about vabbing. All right. So let's just let's just do this. So vabbing stands for vaginal dabbing. And it's when women are taking their vaginal fluid and putting them strategically on their body, mainly on pulse points, um, behind the ear, on the wrist. And the idea is that this is going to help them attract a mate. 
This is not new. There have been books written about this practice, but it's really been, you know, it, it's been picked up in the TikTok world and it's gone viral. And, you know, <laughs> I, it's it's uh, based on the premise of pheromones and human, human chemical communication. And so, again, it's sort of like based on the seed of truth. You know, we've we've seen that this this does occur in the animal world, but that doesn't mean that it translates to humans. And so it's really not proven in humans. And there's this thing, Andrea, you could say this better than I can. Scientists question a human's ability to process pheromone signals with no functioning v- vomeronasal organ. <laughs> vomeronasal, yeah. It was oh, very geez. close, very close. Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. But it's basically, it's a gland essentially that's up here. Um, it allows them to essentially taste or process, you know, pheromone chemicals that uh, would be secreted by other, typically, you know, the other the other sex of a given animal species. Right. So, you know, a lot of people are saying that this is working. So the whole pheromone chemical communication thing, there really isn't a biological basis in humans that, that's been proven. What's more likely that, you know, that's happening is that the women who are doing this are sort of, you know, they're getting their swag on. Like I had, <laughs> I had a pair of hot girl jeans. I love the way they hug my body and hot girl jeans. Like I like the way they made my butt look. Do you know that episode of the, you're in office. Lover, I've watched it. Right? Yes, I, I okay. do. So there's an episode, it's casual Friday and Michael is wearing these jeans and he's like strutting, like he's like sticking his butt out. <laughs> he like loves the way he looks. And that's probably how this is mm-hmm. working. Like you're mm-hmm. putting it on, you're feeling confident and you know, confidence is sexy. And so that's likely how it's working. And some people don't want to poo-poo this all together because of, you know, it is empowering. We shouldn't be ashamed of our bodies. And I get that and understand that, but maybe vabbing isn't like (laughs) the way to go. Right. right? I mean, and there are, yeah, yeah, like again, probably not harmful in the grand scheme of things. I think it, it maybe is a good way to have a conversation that like the smell of your vagina is not abnormal. Right. Um, but your vagina does have a microbiome, which means it has fun fungi and bacteria living inside of it. And they, they belong there. They should, they stay in the vagina and they ensure that it functions health healthily and all that. And your skin has a very different microbiome that's separate from what bacteria live in your mouth, what bacteria live in your vagina, what bacteria live in your gut. And so in theory, if you take some of those secretions that do have, you know, some bacteria or fungi that shouldn't live on the skin and you place them on the skin, it could cause some sort of localized dermatitis or, or skin infection. So that that's a potential risk. Again, you know, there hasn't been a lot of documentation about that, you know, but you definitely want to avoid broken skin because that's where you're going to potentially introduce any of these bacteria or fungus that um, should not be there. All right. I know we only have a couple of minutes left, but on a related note, something that women are also doing, if we could just talk about this briefly, is called menstrual masking. Women are collecting menstrual blood, either, you know, in a menstrual cup. Some are actually taking tampons and pads and and then squeezing them out and collecting the blood and then applying it to their face and their neck. And they leave it on their face for like 15, 20 minutes and then they wash it off. Um, so it's like a, a, a menstrual face mask. 
And so people are doing this because they say that it enhances skin texture. It helps us obtain clear and beautiful skin, nourishes the skin with stem cells, and hydrates and reduces acne. The other thing that some people claim is that it helps us become more connected to our bodies. It's empowering. Putting that aside, let's talk about some of the other claims. So it does not contain stem cells. No. No. So stem cells are going to be found in embryos and fetuses Mm -hmm. and you have uh, adult stem cells are found in the bone marrow, uh, not in, not in menstrual blood, not in endometrial secretions. Um, so yeah, there are going to be cells in menstrual blood, but these are typically shed cells of the endometrium, which is the lining of the uterus. A lot of them are going to be dead. Um, they're not going to have a health benefit by applying them topically. The other thing is that there are chemicals that are in menstrual blood that can be inflammatory, um, things that are produced by our immune cells because the endometrium is technically part of our immune system. These are often called cytokines or chemokines. These can actually potentially cause irritation to your skin because they are part of our inflammatory component of our immune system. So again, that's probably not, not a great thing. And especially if you're taking old menstrual blood, so Inside your body, blood, unless you have a septic infection, is normally pretty sterile. Once it leaves your body, especially if it's on a tampon or on a pad and you're squeezing that out, it's not sterile anymore. There are things that are going to contaminate it. There are potential bacteria, all sorts of things. Because once it's once it's especially if you're wearing a pad, right? It's touching the external skin of your labia, which have its own microbiome, right? There's bacteria that live in and on your body. So it's not going to be sterile. Again, potential risks of infection, irritation, skin damage. Well, and again, seed of truth. Yes, there are micronutrients, right? Menstrual blood has zinc, copper, magnesium, iron, and that's great. But they're present in our menstrual blood in low concentrations, and it's not, it's not doing anything for, for your skin. Right. Especially right. At these low right. It's not it's not in order to get things into cells in your body. There are all these different transport systems and these things are not just passively diffusing, you know, especially in, you know, shed menstrual blood into your skin in order to like rejuvenate it or decrease fine lines or things like that. Right. So for all these reasons, it's not recommended. Um, Andrea, as you said, it could actually cause bacterial infections, irritate the skin, exaggerate acne, you know, exacerbate acne flare-ups. And yeah, this is just not recommended. And then I guess I was reading um, another expert was saying that actually eye infections could develop if menstrual blood gets into the eye or viral infections such as herpes virus um, may spread from the genitalia to the face. So not sterile. And (laughs) another thing with the herpes, I think that's that's a great, a great point. It's estimated that a lot more individuals have herpes simplex infections than actually know about it because a lot of times people can be asymptomatic after they've been infected and until they get that primary outbreak where they develop sores, they wouldn't necessarily know it. And so you could be shedding virus and especially mucous membranes like the eyes. Um, you can get conjunctivitis and all sorts of other things in there. It's really easy for, for things to get um, in the eyes. And that's actually one reason why I wear glasses over 
over contacts because working in a microbiology lab, uh, things can get trapped behind contact lenses. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that's why you wear glasses. That well, makes it's sense. One, one of the reasons. One, one. You also look beautiful in glasses. So, um, All right. Well, I feel like this is going to be something that we're going to revisit over time as there are more and more trends that emerge from TikTok. Can there be a TikTok trend of eating a balanced diet, getting exercise, and staying up to date on your routine vaccinations? Because Not sexy enough. That nope. should go viral. Sorry. <laughs> not not going to happen. All right, Andrea, with that, take us home. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in today. We hope you learned a thing or two, and we hope you are a fan of our new video, <laughs> video tactic. Um, but if you want more unbiased science, please check out our Substack subscription. We do post periodic uh, extended content there, but the biggest perk is you get access to our private Facebook group and our monthly live Q&As. You also get to submit questions for our Heard from the Herd segments on future podcast episodes, and you also get to vote on future topics. So it's $5 a month. Check it out at Substack at theunbiasedscipod.substack.com. Next episode, we're actually going to be tackling another topic that has gotten quite a bit of attention in pop culture recently, and it'll be focused on endocrine health and endocrine disrupting chemicals, what's real, what's not, and what we still don't know. We will continue to provide updates on COVID, on RSV, on all sorts of science and health-related topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at UnbiasedSciPod. And be sure to subscribe to our new YouTube channel. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah, oh, I am a